0: In the weeks since the death of George Floyd, police reforms are going into effect nationwide. Wednesday afternoon, San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner announced a policy that would set a new framework for de-escalation. Such de-escalation policies are part of a series of reforms that advocates are calling all police departments to make. However, criticism over San Diego's slow, metered approach remains. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Alex Riggins, you're a public safety reporter for the Union-Tribune. Let's get an understanding of this change. How does this policy change what was already in place?
1: So currently, the um, the San Diego Police Department has a use-of-force procedure. It lays out the rules for when uh, officers can uh, can use force, um, You know, whether that be, you know, Uh, prior to last week, whether that be, you know, something like the carotid restraint up to, you know, taser, um, up to firearm, that sort of thing. Um, In that procedure, there was language um, that addressed de-escalation. The second paragraph of of that procedure um, did address de-escalation, but it didn't mandate that officers use de-escalation techniques. Uh, So what the mayor announced yesterday is that they're going to have a new standalone uh, procedure or policy um, that kind of most likely will require that officers use uh, de-escalation, um, which you know they're currently being trained on. Um, they're taught de-escalation techniques, uh, but at the moment, the way the procedure, the use of force procedures are written, um, it's not it's not required. Um, and what's expected to happen is that the new policy that the mayor announced yesterday will require that uh, officers use de-escalation.
0: Hmm. And what do these de-escalation tactics look like? Like, what are they?
1: Um, so it, there's there's a range of things. Um, officers are supposed to you know show up to his, uh, to a scene in a situation and figure out kind of um, you know the best way to uh, to handle the situation so that it doesn't result in some sort of physical confrontation. Um, I spoke to the uh, one of the one of the police department's uh, spokespeople yesterday um, and he was saying you know every every single call they respond to is, is different um, so there's no kind of cookie cutter um, way to address this but the the main issue is that they're supposed to you know show up uh, address the situation um, however they can do that in a nonviolent way um, is is really what de-escalation is all about um like i said right now the policy is is that they um you know they they are trained on it they're they're taught how to do it um but there's no there's w- without that requirement you know they can't be held accountable so if they show up and escalate a situation for instance um you know they they can't be held accountable uh what the new policy will likely do by requiring it is 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 make it so that they could be held accountable um if internal affairs or you know a review board um, determines that you know they should have acted differently when they showed up to a situation uh, to de-escalate it, um, and and like I said, there's there's just a range of things that they do. Um, sometimes it's physical distance from someone. You know, if, if if an officer gets too close, someone can feel threatened. So keeping physical distance, um, you know, just keeping communication, speaking. Uh, you know, slowly and evenly instead of, you know, making aggressive demands. um, Those are all things that go into de-escalating a situation.
0: Mm -hmm. And part of the criticism that we're seeing of police nationwide is just that many social services have become defunded and the police are being asked to do things that in the past they wouldn't have to do. And that's kind of when you see the more tragic sides of escalation in which, you know, someone responding to a call that isn't violent, say someone with like a mental health crisis, something like that, and then it results in someone dying. That's clearly things gone wrong. But by having this policy, it essentially creates another framework. So hopefully those tragedies won't happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and um, and you know, with, uh, with a required, a mandated de-escalation policy or procedure, um, you know, officers are supposed to take those things into account. So if they show up and and someone is is obviously uh, you know mentally ill or or going through, um, you know going through something. They're supposed to take that into account. Um, you know one one interesting thing that was uh, so, so last week the community review board on police practices held a meeting, um, kind of an emergency meeting to to discuss uh, de-escalation, and and one of the board members uh, spoke about you know having a a child who is um, you know who has autism. And that you know she fears for her child's life, um, you know she fears every time they leave the home that her child is going to have a have a uh, a run-in with law enforcement, um, and so you know that's that's it's it's a real fear for people, um, you know that that um, you know law enforcement won't de-escalate the situation, won't kind of take into account um, people's different situations, uh, and so that's very real, and so. Yeah, another another you know part of de-escalation is is hopefully taking that into account uh, when an officer is 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 at a scene uh, dealing with someone you know going through something um, that they take those things into account and and maybe treat that person a little differently than they might you know treat someone else on the streets.
0: Yeah, certainly. After all of the protest, we're hearing a lot of members of the Black community who are deaf speaking out, saying that like we're the most at risk because most cops assume that. You know, people can hear them. So, you know, people in that situation are equally in a dangerous situation. So, before all of these protests and the changes we're seeing across the country, what were some groups that were pushing de-escalation policies here?
1: So, the group I'm most familiar with um, is the Community Review Board on Police Practices. They, um, what their job is, is is they review uh, internal affairs investigations. So if if an officer is uh, accused of misconduct or any time an officer uses, um, you know, potentially deadly force, um, then internal affairs investigates. And then the review board uh, kind of just looks at the internal affairs affairs investigation and um, can give input on it, can kind of, you know, disagree, say you need to go back to this person, ask something. Um, That's kind of their main job. They're also um, able to kind of suggest or or recommend policy. And so in 2017, uh, early 2018, they were working on um, this recommendation to the police department that they implement a a mandatory de-escalation policy. And so in in, uh, April 2018, within the first two months of uh, Chief uh, uh, David Nisleit's um, you know, hiring as as San Diego police chief, um, they sent this recommendation to him, saying, you know, the police department ought to uh, have a a mandated de-escalation policy, that you know, not just not just addresses it on a on a training front, um, but you know, but makes it mandatory. And so they you know they did that in 2018. It took uh, several years for the use of force policy to be updated. But when that was updated in earlier this year in February 2020, uh it did not include that mandatory de-escalation. And so the review board was was um you know kind of disappointed uh not kind of they were they were quite disappointed. At the meeting last week um two of the two of the members said they were profoundly disappointed um that, that you know required de-escalation policy was was not um you know, part of the police department policy. And um, there's there are other groups. Uh, there's uh, our reporter, Greg Moran, wrote a, a story earlier this week um, about a, a kind of a coalition of, of criminal justice reform groups that have been pushing different measures. Uh, one of those measures was the carotid restraint, which we know was, um, you know, banned last week by, by all law enforcement agencies in the county. Um, and another one of their, um, Kind of demands, proposals, whatever you want to call it, was this de-escalation policy um, that is, you know, that will now be uh, implemented later this week, next week. Um, so there's been kind of a lot of criminal justice groups, um, as well as as that community review board that I mentioned, that have been that have been pushing this uh, for for years now. This is not something new. This is not something that has just popped up. Um, you know, in the wake of George Floyd's death and in, and during the protests. This is something that, for years now, uh, groups have been pushing, and and because of the protests, because of uh, you know current events, um, it is now being you know adopted and and becoming official policy.
0: Mm-hmm. And also within the department and the mayor's office, what are you hearing with uh, their response to this intense public pressure we had? More than 400 people call into the city council meeting calling for defunding the police, more than 4,000 emails. This is kind of the most intense public action we've seen in a long time. So, what's the mood inside the department?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, like, like the mayor said yesterday, you know, he said that the city or that he uh, heard the comments and, and he was going to act, he wasn't going to wait. Um, you know, that's, that's really all the insight I have as far as the mayor's office. Um, you know, the police department. Um, you know, they're, they're a little bit, you know, they, they point to the de-escalation training that they had, um, which was, you know, very, you know, comparatively, uh, very thorough, uh, just in January, they, they implemented, um, a 10 hour, uh, de-escalation training, um, partly in response to the new law that, that kind of, um, raises the level, um, of, of when police can use deadly force, um. So you know they they feel like they had addressed de-escalation, um, but obviously you know with with kind of the outcry over the last few weeks, um, felt the need to, um, you know, go a step further. And so that's what this is doing is is going that step further. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk to you know street level officers, so I don't know exactly, you know, what the feeling is. Um, among those who are out patrolling the streets and and who, you know, are going to have to implement this. Um, But I know at the, you know, at the higher level of commands, um, they felt like they had good de-escalation training already. They felt like it was, uh, you know, kind of part of their department. Uh, But they, you know, they did see kind of the need now with the pressure to, you know, make it official and and make it mandatory. Mm
0: -hmm. And also stepping back a little bit, the two big changes we've seen in the department so far, this and the carotid restraint, were both things that were in the works, kind of almost turned into policy. Are there any other things that the community review board or other organizations kind of have been discussing that could come next that you're aware of?
1: Um, I think one area to look would be, so the community review board has a has a sister group, uh, the citizens advisory board on police community relations. Um, they suggested kind of this slate of 30 um, policy changes last year um, they were they were also not very pleased with kind of the police department response uh, to those recommended policy changes um, but some of the, you know some of the things that they recommended and, and I don't know that, that any of these are, are now you know under new consideration um, but some of the things that they recommended where we might look to you know see where changes might come um, in the coming weeks. Um, are, you know, different policies like uh, pretext stops. So pretext stops, um, it's kind of a, it's kind of, there's, there's some conflict over what a, a pretext stop actually means. Um, so police just see it as like, so let's say there's a robbery and the, the suspect is described as, a, you know, white male, 30s, uh, in a black sedan, you know, wearing a red hat. And so if an officer responding to that robbery um, sees someone matching that general um, you know that general description, and that person has like a tail light out. Um, they use the tail light as the pretext to stop that person and then check if they might be involved in the robbery. Um, so that's how police see pretext stops. Other people see pretext stops as uh, you know, possibly racial profiling. So a suspect is just described as uh, as a black male in a in a you know gray sedan. Um, and now police can stop any black male in the gray sedan, you know, anywhere in the city for, you know, minor things and then, you know, check them for weapons or drugs or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, and so groups, uh, you know, cr- criminal justice reformers see that as a, as a possible way that, um, police can abuse their power, um, you know, racially profile people. They argue that, you know, Blacks and Latinos get stopped more um, in those types of stops. And so, you know, that might be an area where police look at, you know, what, what can we do? Um, another issue is, is something that they called uh, curbing or curb sitting, um, you know, uh, the, the Citizens Advisory Board argued that this is something that happens in, in uh, you know, in Southeastern San Diego more than other areas. Where uh, you know someone is stopped and they're made to sit on the curb, um, which can be you know embarrassing to them if if their neighbors drive by and see them on the curb instead of standing up and talking to an officer, um, you know it, it's just it, it's it's made to uh, you know they feel like it, it, it's kind of I guess um, like kind of derogatory to the person or or can um, mm-hmm. be to to be embarrassing for the person. Um, And so, you know, a a citizen's advisory board suggestion was that uh, that practice be totally stopped, that they never be made to sit on the curb. Um, So there's 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 some you know, there's different things. Um, You know, those are two that might be looked at. Uh, There were other kind of more widespread uh, or broad changes that I don't know if if those types of changes will be looked at. Like the citizen's advisory board um, wanted less of a focus on on military experience in San Diego police recruiting. Um, and the and the captain um, who kind of works with the board was you know kind of took offense to that like you know we we very much value and respect um, veterans uh, in the department and and we'll continue to recruit those. Um, so I don't know if that's something that they'll look at, but but you know those are some of the some of the recommendations from city boards um, that have come across in the last year or so um, that might be areas where we can look where uh, you know, change might be possible coming up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be curious to see what happens in the next coming weeks because there's no sign that these protests are going to stop. People are truly frustrated, and you know, this could be a time in which policing truly does change because of what people are saying now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. These these protests seem to be putting a lot of pressure. Um, like you mentioned, the the something over four thousand comments that poured in uh, last week to the. To the Community Review Board and Citizens Advisory Board, the, the city council meeting on, on Monday that was just flooded with calls for hours and hours. Um, there's a lot of pressure right now on, on them to act. And uh, and so far, we we have seen some action. And, and like you said, it'll be interesting to see you know how far it goes.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Alex Riggins, thank you so much. Thank you. In other news... San Diego County will cross another COVID milestone tomorrow as many businesses begin to reopen. This is not a return to the before times, however. Expect to have your temperature checked with a no-touch thermometer as you walk into many places. You won't be able to belly up to a bar and chat with a bartender as you enjoy your drink, and the person at the table next to you will be at least 6 feet away. There likely will be hand sanitizers in sight, and your waiter clerk, car dealer, or camp guide will be wearing a facial covering. You'll be asked to consider wearing one, too. Your favorite restaurant, tavern, or shop suddenly may seem unpopular, but that's because only a certain number of people are allowed in at one time. Also, enjoy it while you can. County Public Health Officer Wilma Wooten said Wednesday that officials will be looking for triggers that could lead to amending orders about restrictions. Triggers include an increase in outbreaks, and Wooten said she anticipates COVID-19 cases will increase as businesses reopen and activities resume. Among the businesses given the green light to reopen on Friday are hotels, short-term rentals, bars, wineries, tasting rooms, gyms, museums, galleries, zoos, aquariums, card rooms, racetracks, campgrounds, RV parks, outdoor recreation, and swimming pools. Things that remain closed are nail salons, facial salons, tattoo parlors, and massage businesses. In the outbreak, the county confirmed an additional 161 cases of COVID-19, which is 3% of the 4,997 tests reported to the county on Wednesday. That brings the total case count to 8,998. The current 14-day average of positive tests has held steady at 3.1%. So far, 1,459 people have needed to be hospitalized because of the virus, and 414 were admitted to the ICU. As of Wednesday, 308 have died. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union-Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.